Paul is imparting some wisdom, trying to be a help to Timothy. Uh, he encourages Timothy, who's been left alone in Ephesus, to pastor, to, to lead and feed the flock that was there. Uh, it was certainly a challenging responsibility that Timothy had undertaken as even such a, such a young man. Yet Paul exhorting him and helping him that in the face of hardship, in the face of hostility, uh, listen, Timothy, still continue on. And some very strong messages from these books, First and Second Timothy. But Paul addresses Timothy here in these verses, uh, six, chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, in a very unique way, uh, especially for the time frame in which he's talking to him. He says here in First Timothy chapter 6, verse number 11 and 12, he says, But thou, O man of God, Flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. He calls him here in the opening phrase, but thou, O man of God. It's remarkable because in the Old Testament, uh, the term or the title of man of God like that for a prophet. Yet here, Paul calls Timothy a man of God. I'm sure that caught Timothy's attention as a young man, as Paul's son in the faith. And I think by interpretation, we of course know that Paul's talking to Timothy. But by application, I think it can be applied to all of us. It is something that we should all aspire to. What we're dealing with here is spiritual maturity. Have you ever met somebody that was older but still quite immature? Okay. That anymore? Uh, there's some that doesn't matter how many years they've been alive, they still are immature, and that's on a physical level, but we want to talk about or apply this to a spiritual level. Some, sadly, are still babes in Christ, even though maybe they've been saved for a very long time. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11 through 14 says, Of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing you're dull of hearing. For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which being the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth unto them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. 
we're dealing with here, when we're just talking about a man or a woman of God, we're dealing with or addressing the fact that there's some that have strengthened themselves. It's not a matter of their age, but it really literally is a matter of their application of truth in their life. As they have taken and applied the truth, it says, by reason of use. They've exercised themselves to a place where they can discern good and evil, where they are spiritually mature. You know, I remember my father telling stories. Uh, many, obviously, I sat in his ministry uh, all the way up until I went to Bible college and under his preaching every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night, and many revival services and Sunday school hours and all that for all those years. But some of the illustrations that dad used to give describing growing up, he always said he felt sorry for a boy who didn't get to grow up on a farm. But after hearing dad's stories about all the work that he did on the farm, I'm not sure that's really what I wanted. Uh, I was maybe glad I didn't grow up on a farm. But dad talked about growing up on the farm and how he knew what dad wanted, his dad wanted, and uh, how he would uh, work hard to please his dad. And as a young boy, you know, 12 and 13 years old, he, of course, knew how to drive all the tractors and he would plow the fields and he would work out there with the men that his dad had hired to help cultivate the fields. And these men would come on for summer help. And yet dad was there every year. And dad had learned what grandpa wanted and he knew how things were to be and dad would describe how he was just a boy, yet many times dad would leave him in charge of the hired help, even though these hired help were many years uh, his senior. But you see, they didn't know. They hadn't been there. They didn't, they didn't know the quirks of that particular tractor and how to make it go or what would happen when the gears got locked up or whatever, but dad was very proficient and so he worked hard to please grandpa and what it was is not a matter of how many years he'd been alive, but what he had learned during the time he was alive. And so he became the one that would be in charge. You see, the title given to us here, thou man of God, has two very critical components in it that we must address or think about. First of all, there is the idea of man. Let us not forget that we're men. And I, of course, am addressing and dealing with all of mankind. I'm speaking to ladies tonight as well with the aspect of every man or woman can be a man or woman of God. We have our aspect of our life that we are still men with all of our weaknesses with our propensity for failure or to fall short of what God would ask of us, with all of our struggles and temptations, on our best day, we're still men. We cannot forget that. But there is available unto us the possibility of being men and women of God because we cannot forget about God in all of his majesty, his greatness, and his power. But we must remember, beloved, that we do not have great men of God, but we have men of a great God. Amen. All of us. And it is possible. And we should aspire to be men and women of a great God. And if we're going to do so, he gives us clearly here in this text three things that are a part of the man of God's life. Of course, he's exhorting Timothy. He's telling Timothy, he's saying, hey, if you're going to be a man of God, this is what you need to do. 
He says, first of all, there's going to be some things that you're going to flee. He says, but thou, O man of God, flee these things. There are some things that the man of God is going to flee that are not going to be part of his life. If we look back in the text a little bit, you'll see these things mentioned a couple of times. We see it first at the end of verse number two. These things teach and exhort. That is in reference to what he said in verse number one and all of verse number two, closing verse two, saying, hey, teach and exhort these things. But the these things mentioned here in verse number 11 is in reference to what he said between verses 3 and 10. So look at verse 3 with me and follow along as he lists off for us the things that as a man of God we're going to flee. He says, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness... He says, hey, there's some contentious people that are teaching some false doctrine, wrong things. You need to flee them. In verse number four, he said, he is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strife of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings. There are some conceited people, proud, full of themselves, want to talk about all that they know. He said, you're going to flee them. Verse number five, he says, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds. There's some corrupt people we're to flee from. Destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Of course, he tells us, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So between verses 7 and 10, he describes for us or encourages us to flee from covetous people. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we will carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and unto many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. He gives this list here and he said, listen, if you're going to be a man of God, if you're going to be a woman of God, then you have got to establish some boundaries in your life. You've got to be able to discern between good and evil. And there's some things that you need to flee, that you need to get away from. There's some things that you shouldn't be around. There are those with the corrupt people, corrupt things that you shouldn't be around. There's some with corrupt doctrine. You've got to be very careful that you're listening to and hearing correct doctrine, that you're being taught the right thing and that you're not getting saddled up with somebody that's teaching you wrong. There's some have corrupt practices, participating in things that are evil or worldly or ungodly and you really shouldn't be saddled up next to them. They're not the people that you should be bosom buddies with. They're not the people that you should be spending all your free time with. If you're going to be a man of God, there's some things that you've got to flee. There's a story of an elderly woman who stood nervously by the edge of a street corner in rush hour traffic. 
crossing that street just made her nervous. She was just a little apprehensive. She wasn't quite sure of herself. And finally, a gentleman came up and said, hey, would you mind if I crossed with you? She thought, wow, how gracious and kind. She was certainly relieved, and she took his arm, and they stepped off the street into the busy intersection. She was quite alarmed as he zigzagged randomly across the street to the blaring horns and screeching of lock brakes. Finally, when they reached the other side, she turned to this gentleman furious. She said, you almost got us killed. You're walking like a blind man. He said, I am blind. That's why I asked if I could cross with you. <laughs> that dear lady saddled herself up with somebody that didn't know any better. You know, the Lord talks about that. It's called the blind leading the blind. Some that don't really know the truth would try and come along and guide you into the truth. We need to be careful who it is that we cross the street with. Amen? He says, from such withdraw thyself. Flee from them. Don't be around them. If you're going to be a man of God, you need to use some spiritual maturity and be able to recognize them and don't spend all of your time with that kind of person. I'm shocked how somebody can spend two, three, four, five years in a church like this and then when they move away or go somewhere else, they end up in a cult. And you, you look and say, how in the world did they learn no doctrine? Did they, did they not start to hear? The, did the truth not really sink into their heart? I think the reality of it is, is that they were just a hearer of the word. And they never really became a doer of the word. And so they're easily, even though they've maybe been saved for a long time, even though they came to a church like this and heard truth for a long time, they're easily pulled away into false doctrine. A mature Christian, a man of God, a woman of God, recognizes the false doctrine and withdraws themselves. He says to flee corruption, he says to flee covetousness. Those that are covetous by nature and to guard against it in our own heart, we need to remember that everything we have comes from God. It's all His. You know, we came into this world with nothing, and we're going to leave the world with nothing. I remember one day when my kids were much younger, we were sitting around talking, and I don't remember the course of conversation or what brought it up, but I said something about their birthday suit. And Andrew says, birthday suit? What's that? Do I have one? <laughs> say, well, uh, you do. We'll let you know later, amen? <laughs> We're going to leave the world with nothing. We came with nothing. The key to this principle is given to us in verse number nine, and it's really a matter of the heart. He says in verse 9, but they that will be rich. 
they that have that desire or aspiration that that is a priority of their life and that's what they're focusing after. We see here in verse 9 and 10 seven things that afflict the heart of the covetous person. We're not going to take time to dive into all of these, but we see that they fall into temptation, that they end up in a snare, that they get into many foolish and hurtful lusts, they're drowned in destruction and perdition. The love of money is a root of all evil. They err from the faith, and they're pierced through with many sorrows. There's seven afflictions there that afflict the heart of those that desire or would pursue righteousness, and we've got to guard against that covetous spirit in our life. There's nothing wrong with Wealth, if God blesses you with it. I stood in the foyer today and was talking to Rob and uh, Jim and uh, Jim Carbo, not Rob's son, Jim, uh, but Jim, Jim Carbo. And uh, Rob and I were chatting and we were just talking about how, uh, you know, maybe some take that a little bit too far, you know, but God, there's nothing wrong with God's blessing. If God blesses you and you have been given or uh, blessed with riches. You know, he actually acknowledges that person too. Look at verse number 17. There are people that God has blessed and there's nothing wrong with that. He says in verse number 17, he says, charge them that are rich in this world. He says, hey, just remember this. There's some that are rich, but hey, charge them that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. So he's saying, hey, listen, if God has blessed you with wealth and praise the Lord for that, there's nothing wrong with that. But hey, don't think you're all that in a bag of chips because you've got money in the bank. Don't be too high-minded. Don't think too highly of yourself. He says, you, as, as somebody that God has richly blessed, he's saying you need to guard against that. You need to be careful that you don't feel that you're so much better than everybody else because God's blessed you. And he says, and secondly, not just watch the high-mindedness, he says, be careful that that is not what we trust in because what we need to trust in is God, amen? That is where our focus needs to be is in God. He said, he acknowledges them that God is blessed. So if we're gonna be a man of God, there is indeed some things that we need to flee. Not only do we need to flee some things, but you'll see here, secondly, that he says, but thou, man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness. There's some things that we need to flee, but not only are there some things we should flee, there's some things that we should follow after. So it's not just about what you avoid, but it's about what you pursue. What is it that you're following after? What kind of things are you striving for? Do you desire to be known as a man or a woman of God? then there will be some things in your life that you're following after. It'll be evident. He gives us three things here. Things that deal specifically with our relationship with God and some that deal with our relationship with man. First of all, he says that we would follow after righteousness. Righteousness is doing right in practice. Justice, righteous. Are you following after righteousness? 
desirous in your heart to be right with God? Can't help but think of that song, Is Thy Heart Right With God? Is that something that you desire? Is that something rooted down in your heart that you just want to be right with God? I wonder, what do you do with the invitation time? What do you do when the invitation is extended, the message has been preached, and I'm not under any illusion that the messages preached are of such a powerful nature that every message is going to move your heart. But I wonder where is the passion or desire of your heart? Is it that I just, man, I just want to be right with God? Whatever that means, I want to be right with God. Do you respond in the invitation? Not to me. Do you respond to the Holy Spirit? To God who prods you and touches you and says, boy, this is my word. This is truth. Boy, all of us, we sit here and we marvel at how somebody that's lost and on their way to hell could sit through a service like the cantata where the message was so clearly presented and and the net drawn at the end and call on them to believe and trust Jesus Christ. And we say, how could they ignore the prodding of the Holy Spirit like that? And yet many of us do it every single week. Because God calls upon us to move and we do not. The desire to be righteous You know, young man or young lady, I understand this world has a strong pull. And when I say young, I must say anybody under 30. Young is getting older and older, right? Here, here's what I'm saying. It's a pretty popular word today. Follow. Who are you following? Who's on your list? Who are you following online? Who are you following on Instagram? Who are you following on your social media interaction of choice, whatever app it is that you like? You know, it's amazing, the young, they pride themselves on knowing the latest words, what they mean, the abbreviations, the, the, the text acronyms and what they stand for, the latest artist who hit the top chin on whatever chart. You see, there's a whole lot of things in this world, young people, that you're following after. When a godly man is following after righteousness. When a godly woman, I wonder if we checked your your list of follow on your social media, would we say, boy, there's a godly young man. There's a godly young lady. Some of you don't have any thing online, and I say, praise the Lord. 
That's just, that's just a good thing. You're like, I don't follow anybody. Nobody follows me. Nobody even know I exist. <laughs> well, hallelujah. God knows you exist, right? That's a good thing. But I'm just wondering, what are you following? A godly man is going to follow after righteousness. Young man, young lady, when was the last time you got something out of your Bible? When was the last time God taught you something in your own personal walk that you shared with somebody else? So look what God showed me today. But you can talk about the latest sitcom or whatever show happens to be. I mean, I don't even know if they call them that today. Whatever's on Netflix or whatever the latest show is, you can talk about that. Maybe we need to think about what it is we're following. Not only to say follow righteousness, but he said follow godliness. Righteousness would have to do with the internal desires of the heart to be right with God. Godliness is the outward actions of the hand that are evident to those around us to be godly, to do right, to live right. Just as we strive to put right things into our body to have a healthy body that is to, to eat right and, you know, have a salad every month or so and, and you know, just to eat healthy and, you know, be, be physically uh, fit, that's a good thing, but we have to do the same thing spiritually. Spiritually, we have to put some right things in our body to be physically strong, to be godly. Are you trying to know him? To be like him? Our study in Sunday school has a lot to do with this, which we're concluding on the 31st, but just having a mind that's pursuing God. There's a pastor that stopped by to see one of the elderly members of his congregation who was ill. He was very weak, and they didn't know if he was going to make it. He came in, and as pastors will, I mean, we try and keep the, the, the visit brief, we want to come and at least be there, but we understand physically you're weak and don't want to uh, take all of your energy, but be present. And so the pastor said, I won't, I won't stay long at all. I'm just going to read you the most precious verse in all of the Bible. And then I'll pray with you and go. The man was very excited. The pastor opened his Bible to John chapter 14. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. And he bowed his head and he began to pray. When he closed his prayer and opened his eyes, the man reached for his hand and said, No, Pastor, that's not the sweetest verse in all of the Bible. He said, Could you read the next one, please? The pastor continued and said, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. And this wise man, church member, taught that pastor something that day. And he said, Pastor, it's not the mansion that I'm looking for. It's the master. 
It's the master. Are you living like the master would want you to? Godly. He says to pursue faith. Faith is the idea of being fully persuaded, knowing what you believe. What is your faith made up of? What is it that you believe? The exciting thing about the discipleship of Hunt Valley Baptist Church is there are so many of the members of Hunt Valley Baptist Church that are getting grounded, rooted, established in their faith. They say, well, I already have faith. No, what I'm saying is that they're starting to really understand what they believe and why they believe it. They're starting to be able to see it from the Word of God. Just today I was talking to Jim Carbo in the foyer there, and he was talking about how he just loves the fact that every principle goes back to the Word of God and how he can get it directly from the Scripture. And that He's just excited about being able to, when he talks to somebody else, instead of just saying, this is what I think, he can say, this is what God's Word says. That's where is your faith? Is it rooted and established? Do you know what you believe? In Romans 14, 5, he says, uh, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Are you persuaded regarding the word of God and what God would have you believe? Are there some things that you have established in your faith that you know God would have you do? There are things in my life that I'm fully persuaded of that I don't plan on changing. I had the privilege of meeting Jason's grandma and grandpa. That was an experience. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I enjoyed their, the time just fellowshiping with them. They've been watching. They might be watching tonight. They've been watching online. As we spent a few minutes there talking for a little bit, we were closing and heading out, and I'm like, well, I got to run, got to couple more things I got to do today. Just wanted to stop in and say hi to Jason and got the privilege to say hi to you. And uh, his grandpa looked at me and says, well, thanks for stopping by. He said, but I want to ask you, I want to, I want to challenge you. Don't change. Amen. He said, just don't change. Keep preaching the word of God. Keep doing what God's called you to do. He said, we've been blessed by your ministry, even from a distance, and I just want to encourage you, don't change. If somebody's not going to change, they have to be persuaded. They have to know what they believe. Do you know what you believe? I, could, I have a whole list of things here that I'm persuaded about. I was planning on preaching on. <laughs> Amen. We didn't, uh, we, didn't have, we didn't have testimony time tonight because I knew that this message was going to be a little longer. <laughs> um, you know, I'm persuaded that we have the word of God. This old King James book, which is under attack today, I'm just persuaded it's the word of God, that it's infallible, inerrant, God's word for us doesn't have any errors in it, doesn't have any contradictions in it. And as you see out here in the world and you get on YouTube, you're going to see all kinds of people that want to say, oh, it has contradictions, it has errors. And they'll try and show you some things. What they're showing is their ignorance concerning the word of God and their lack of faith concerning who God is, because God said he would preserve his word. 
So either they have a God who is unable to preserve the word, which is a weak God, or they have a misunderstanding of the passage that they're looking at. There's sometimes people look and say, oh, this looks like a contradiction. Well, when you have faith in God, you say, well, God is right. Let God be true and every man a liar. So if God is right, then I know that the word of God does not have error, that there's something I'm not understanding. And your faith overrides what looks like a contradiction. Even if you can't explain it or don't understand it, you don't have to. There's a lot of stuff about God we can't explain. But we just need to be persuaded about it. You know, I'm persuaded that our music should be distinctly Christian. You know, beloved, if you were flipping through the radio, and you know, that old-time radio, not the digital ones that go right to the stations, you know, uh, even if you're doing that, but I remember the radios, you know, you're and then the station comes in, you know, quietly. Those older folks remember that. You know, you're flipping through the radio. Within a matter of, of a measure or two, you can tell if that's country or R&B or rap or rock or hip-hop or heavy metal or reggae or classical. You know right away. You might not know the station but as soon as the music comes on, within a few measures, you can tell what genre it is, right? Well, Christian music should be identifiable. They would never take a rock song and try and sell it as classical. They wouldn't do that. They wouldn't say, oh, this is a classical song. No. And I don't know why it is they're trying to take all of this rock music and sell it as Christian. Because if it's not identifiable quickly to being Christian, then it's not right. There's a lot of music out there in the world. I mean, we listened to, at, we were on the activity with the uh, uh, older folks in the church. And we were listening to some Christmas songs as we're looking at the lights and whatever. And, you know, they weren't, you know, I don't remember all of what we, we just had a playlist going and some Christmas songs. And some of those are fun. There's nothing sinful or wrong about those other, you know, some fun songs or things like that. But we're not singing them in church. And we're not selling them off as Christian. I'm not going to call evil good. We need to be persuaded in our mind. I'm thankful for those that are involved in the music ministry of Hunt Valley Baptist Church that help keep it on the straight and narrow. We want to have right music that's distinctly Christian. And we could go on, but I want you to see there's three things concerning our relationship with men that we ought to follow after. We see, first of all, that is the love we're to have love for one another. We dealt with this in great detail when I went through the one another's that are found in the Word of God. And so we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but the Bible, you know, exhorts us, encourages us to love one another. By this shall men know that you are my disciple, that you have love one for another. And I praise God that the testimony of Hunt Valley Baptist Church is that it's made up of men and women that love one another. 
we must keep that spirit. Do you know it takes work? It takes effort. I don't know who I was talking to recently because you guys know I have a great memory. It's just not very long. I was talking to somebody and I said, you know what I want to do after a church service? Every service. As soon as we pray, actually, I want somebody else to close in prayer and what I want to do is go down and hide in my office. That's what I feel like doing. That's who I am. But I have to fight against that and engage with God's people because I want them to know that I love them. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes time. So let's keep that spirit. Let's spend the time. Let's love one another. He says here also that we should have patience. Patience with one another. This word patience literally means consistency. Being consistent. You know, consistency is vitally important for the Christian life. It's hard to live godly when your life's a mess. You know, I've been doing this a long time. I've seen a lot of different people going through different stages of life. And it's pretty rare to find somebody who's godly who doesn't have a consistent life. Consistently in church. Consistently walking with God. Consistent in their spirit. Consistent. We need to live and be consistent. And he calls us to be have meekness. Meekness. You guys know meekness is humility. That's something we all need to work towards. Question ourselves. You know, as soon as we feel we've attained it, we've lost it. It's something we should continue to strive to, to be meek, to be humble. Then lastly, this evening, we see the third thing that he challenges the man of God to do. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Do you know, beloved, actually I know you know, that it is a fight just to do right. <laughs> just to get up every day and just do what you know you're supposed to do. It's a fight. <laughs> and you know the person that we have to fight the most is yourself. I was hoping somebody wouldn't say, yeah, I live with her. <laughs> no. <laughs> I hope that's not the situation. We have to fight ourselves. We are our own worst enemy. You know, as a pastor, it's terrible because really I am called to speak a lot. But then, you know, the more you talk, the more likely you're to say something. You're likely to say something stupid. <laughs> you're likely to say something that's going to hurt somebody's feelings. The more you say, the more likely it is you're going to mess up. I have to pray as Miss Rebecca. Lord, put a watch before my mouth. Amen. Help guard me. Help me, Lord, to, to be careful with that because we must guard ourselves. We got to fight 
the good fight just to be who it is God wants us to be. It's a fight to get up and read your Bible every day. It's a fight to be a witness out in this world as you're going about your daily business. Oh, we have set times that you can go and be a soul winner. But you know, I'd much rather have an army of God's people that are soul winners all week long everywhere you go. We have a scheduled time, and oh, praise the Lord, those that can come and be there. But we would be far more effective if you just witness to the people you come across, the people that God brings into your path. You could impact them. Every one of us have a circle of influence, people that we talk to, that we interact with, that we could impact or influence for God if we would do it. But you know as well as I do, it's a fight with this old flesh to get, our, get ourselves to do it. It's a fight to have the compassion that you should for others. It's a good fight, though. He says, fight the good fight. It's a fight worth fighting. There's a lot of dumb things we fight over. This is a fight that's worth fighting. It's a fight worth getting involved in. You know, it's a fight, to, we, we were joking about the, the one you fight with the most, but you know it's a fight to have a good marriage? One of the reasons people's marriage struggles so much is because they stop fighting for it. I like that book. I think we have it in the bookstore still, but uh, How to Fight for Your Marriage Without Fighting Each Other. And that's what you got to do. That's what it takes. It doesn't just happen. You have to fight to have a good marriage. Some just want to give up the fight. They want to wash their hands of it and throw in the towel. You know, it's a fight to raise your kids for God. It's a fight. And those of you that are older in here, you know the fight doesn't end just because they got out of your house. And you're not fighting with them, you're fighting for them. You're fighting the devil and Satan and praying and going before the throne of grace consistently for their souls if they're lost. For their sanctification if they know they're saved but they're wayward and maybe like a prodigal, you're looking for God to bring them home. It's a fight that just keeps But it's a fight worth fighting. Keep it up. The man of God, the woman of God. These are some things that are going to be present if that's who we're going to be. I wonder if Paul would look at me and say, Caleb, thou man of God. And I know that I've reached that. But he gave me some patterns here that I could implement in my life that would get me in that direction. I think Timothy was greatly challenged by these truths. Beloved, God knows we're in a fight. God knows what we're dealing with. God knows the struggles we have in our spirit. And he's standing with you. You know, there's only a couple of weeks left this year. Only got a couple weeks left to do something for God in 2023. Are you going to finish the year strong or have you just thrown in a towel for now? Have you just washed your hands of the fight and said, well, 
maybe I'll start again next year. You don't have to wait till next year. You can start tonight. You can say, this is what God wants me to do. Would you stand with me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed?